have a word um, to share with you today, but I, I found this funny video. Can I share a funny video with you first? No, my kids are afraid because I told them I have pictures today. But let's do this funny video first, okay? All right, so we lied to you. We're not going to Grandma's house. But we're going to go somewhere more fun. Where do you think we're going to go? so cute. That just blessed my heart. Why? We want to go to Grandma's house. I think my kid, my grandkids, they, they'd rather go to Disney than Grandma's house, but I can hear them going, why did you lie? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I, um, I get to preach every Mother's Day, and I'm really more of an exhorter, and encourager. I want to encourage you ladies, and um, you know, the Word of God is for all of us, so, man, you, you might learn something, too. And uh, my husband was not raised with a mom in the house, and so he gives me this privilege every year, and so I'm honored to be able to do this. And so I have a message for you entitled Four Seasons, and I, I'll be honest, I got this idea from another women lady preacher, and... Um, it just um, really touched my heart as I began to think about the seasons of motherhood. And so I'm going to um, tell you some stories, and I hope to encourage you um, this morning. I remember when I found out that I was pregnant for the very first time. Now, I was kind of old. Um, I didn't have my first baby till I was 30. I guess that's not unusual anymore, but, you know, to most of my... Um, comrades that was late and um, I remember going to the young moms fellowship and had to give a disclaimer at the door that I'm not really a young mom um, but I have young kids but I'll never forget when I first found out that I was gonna have a baby do you remember mom you'll never you don't forget those moments I mean they live with you forever and you know pastor Rick and I got married we actually eloped I don't know if you know this um, <clears throat> I'm not bragging, it just is the truth. Um, and, uh, and I actually got pregnant on our honeymoon. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, I came home and it's like, I didn't feel good. And I had the flu, I got the flu that never went away. And ever, people were saying, oh, you're pregnant. I was like, I am not, I just got married, you know. And uh, lo and behold, they razzed me so much at my job that I had to go to the um, doctor because back in those days, you couldn't just run down to uh, Walgreens and get an a in-home pregnancy test. You either went to the health department or the doctor, made an appointment for a blood test, and, you know. And so I went through all that, and they said, you are pregnant. <gasps> I was shocked. I, and I called Rick right away, and he's like, I knew it. I knew it. I did not know it. I was shocked. 
And, and then immediately, moms, right? It's like, I got this life inside of me. You know, I, I've shared some of my past with you, and we're not going there today, but I, um, at that time, did some things that weren't very healthy for my body. But the minute I found out there was a baby in there, that's it. You know, I dropped every vice that I had because of this little baby in my belly, and I began to pray, oh, God, let this baby be healthy, right? That's all you care about. Let it be healthy. That was my prayer. And then you start thinking about, okay, where are we going to put this baby? And uh, where are we going to get all this stuff? You know, you need all the stuff, right? You need a lot of stuff to have a baby. And, you know, back in those days, it's not like it was today. Um, <clears throat> maybe it was for some of you, but not for us because we weren't rich. We were kind of poor. And all our stuff came from garage sales or from friends. You know, we got a crib. I'll never forget that crib. I don't know where we picked it up from, but some baby had chewed the paint all off the edges, you know. So we had it on the backyard, and we sanded it, and um, paint, I painted it, and then I kind of got dizzy and from the paint fumes, and then I thought, oh, my gosh, what have I done to the baby, you know? Um, you know, we had the, the swing. I was looking at pictures, and back in the olden days, they had, they had um, aluminum poles. It wasn't all this fancy stuff like you got now. You had to put it together, you know, and you got it. You had to get all the stuff. So all the stuff was was given to us pretty much, or we bought it for a quarter, you know, and then and then you start making the plans, you know, for the birth, and, and then all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, my gosh, this baby has got to come out. And you know what? Uh, you can pretend if you want to, mamas, but every single one of us was like, oh, my gosh. Now I now what? this thing has to come out. My, my first baby was like an alien baby in there. She was always doing this, you know. And, and I remember saying that first that year with my first baby, it was like 98 degrees and 96% humidity. She was born the end of June, and it was so hot. I mean, you just were sweating buckets everywhere, and we didn't have any air conditioning. We lived in a rental, uh, bottom half of a house, and, and I, I just remember saying, this baby has got to come out. I don't care if it comes out my nose. It has to come out. <laughs> oh, and then the baby comes out, and then you really start to panic. How am I going to take care of this baby? It's like, I don't know how to do this. They, you know, they don't really come with a instruction right at the hospital they try to tell you what to do my babies weren't cooperating with everything the nurse said they would do and um you start to panic how am I going to take care of this baby and then you know there might come a day where you all of a sudden wonder what's wrong with this baby <laughs> they're sick or I remember this one baby of mine that um on the back of the Tylenol bottle it says may cause excitability in some children. Have you read that warning? I had one that was excited about Tylenol at like 3 in the morning. I, I remember her jumping up on my lap like this, and I was like, no, please go to bed. I don't know where Emily is, but she can relate to this right now, I think. You all can, right? Just please go to sleep. We lived in a bottom half of a house, and there was um, one bedroom, and then there was like a, 
I don't know, it might have been like a walk-in closet, but there were no poles in there. It was just a small room, but there was a window in it, and that was the baby room. And, the, and so if the baby made a peep, it was mom's job to run in there and get it and get it out quick because dad had to go to work at 4. We had to get up at like 4.30 in the morning for his job. And so if the baby made a peep, man, I had to jump out of bed and run and get that baby and take it in the other room. You know, nobody made me do that. I just did that out of respect for my husband because he needed rest. And, and you know, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to take care of this baby. I didn't know that I had overdrugged her with the Tylenol. Then there was the time we underdrugged her, remember, and took her to emergency because we could not get her fever to go down. And lo and behold, she'd gained 10 pounds and needed a higher dose, you know. But those things when you have babies that are just like, oh, my God, and you pray, oh, God, help me. I don't know how to take care of this baby, right? Show me how to raise this baby. And somehow, some way, they survived. About the time you, you think you've got this baby figured out, then comes another one. And the whole thing is different this time. You know, I remember with the first baby, you know, people would come to see the baby and we'd say, oh, we're so sorry, the baby is sleeping. You know, and so you can't disturb it. You can't disturb her. She's sleeping. Oh, so sorry, come back. Um, with the second baby, you realize the baby's going to be sleeping all the time, you know. So we're like, oh, we'll go get her up. She just went to bed. But we'll get her up. Or somebody told us if you, you should vacuum around the baby's crib because then that baby will be able to sleep through lots of noise, right? If you make your house so quiet when the baby's sleeping, then the baby's going to have to have quiet to sleep. So we'd vacuum around the crib. You do things different with the second baby than you do with the first. And you don't realize how exhausted you're going to be from chasing the two-year-old and you got this new little snuggle baby that you just want to be able to, to play with and to hang out with. And, um, you know, I, I remember with my second baby, I, I was wiser the second time because I've been through this. I know what's going to happen. And I remember going to the hospital, and um, I felt like I was on a four-day vacation. Okay, back in the day, you could stay for four days. I think you get to stay for four hours now, but... Back in the day, you could stay for four days. So I, so um, with my second baby, I'm like, I'm on, I'm on vacation for four days, just me and the baby. Rick and the toddler are at home, and um, just me and the baby are at the hospital for four days. You know what? Here's another thing. You don't know whether that baby's going to be Erica or Eric because there was they didn't do ultrasounds every month back in the day. You had no idea what your baby was going to be. And... So that was pretty exciting. I remember the night before Erica was born, we were still tossing names around, you know, and so excited to have our second little baby girl. And her and I were on vacation at the hospital, and uh, Rick was at home with the toddler, and we had decided to be environmentally responsible and um, stop using disposable diapers. Did anybody do that? We are the only one. Oh, see? Back in the day, kids, this is what we did, right? Lasted two days at our house. How long did it last at your house? When I was in the hospital with Erica on our four-day vacation, 
Rick was at home with Emily in the diaper pail and the pins and the rubber pants and the, the diapers. And I remember he brought her to the hospital and then she, you know, messed her pants and then he cleaned, he changed her diaper and then he goes, what do I do with this? And I said, oh, you take that back home. And he said, I'm not going to carry this around. I was like, yeah, you rinse it out and then you just carry it for the day and then you take it back home. He's like, mm-mm. So that was the last day we ever used cloth diapers right there. Yeah. And then you begin to pray, ladies, don't you? Oh, God, let me be a good mom to these babies. I mean, it is the cry of your heart to be a good mom to your babies. You don't know what you're doing, but you just want it to be right. And let's not forget about all your other obligations. I mean, there's housework. There's a never-ending mound of laundry. There's husbands. They don't like to be neglected just because there's babies in the house. There's finances. There's obligations. Some of you have to go back to work. That's a lot. In the spring of your motherhood, you're just figuring it out. And you have to depend on God constantly to help you, to teach you, to, you have to trust him that you're going to be enough, right? Let's move on to the summer of life, of motherhood. You're so busy. Where's those two little girls? Did you show my family yet, the, ba the first picture? Oh, look at there. Aren't they cute? Rick had hair. And, you know, I was telling the girls, I can't find all your baby pictures. Did I give you all your baby pictures? This was the only one I could find, actually. They're somewhere. But, okay, go to the next one. Look at those girls. Aren't they cute? They're so cute. They were in school. Uh, but before school, you know, there's so much to teach your kids. Moms, you have to teach your kids all the stuff. I'm not talking about school stuff. I'm talking about all this stuff. You got to teach them how to walk without crashing, how to how to eat, use a spoon, how to do all this stuff. And here's the thing that dawned on me um, when my kids were little is that I did not teach them to be naughty. They just came up with this on their own. You know, you say no, and then they and then they one day they look at you and they go, you know. Or you say, I love um, Jack. Jack says, you dop it. He's the cutest little boy. And, uh, and, you know, you tell them, don't touch that VCR. We used to have them back in the day. And, uh, and they go over there like this. Just to see how far can they push you, you know. We didn't teach them that. It's that carnal nature that just rises up on the inside of them. And they... They do all the things that they're just testing you. They want to see what you're going to do. You know, um, it's much easier to control kids in theory than it is in reality, isn't it? I remember when, you know, before I had kids, my kids were never going to act like that. Right? How many of you said that, moms? My kids are never going to act like that. Oh, yes, they will. <laughs> and then probably in front of people. <laughs> just to see what you're going to do, right? And then you begin to pray, oh, God, teach me how to teach these kids. 
because the responsibility is greater than you ever imagined it was going to be, right? But God is faithful. He'll lead you. He'll help you. Sometimes it'll be through the voice of a friend or a family member, a relative. You know, back in, in my day, we didn't have the Internet. I didn't have the opinion of six billion people about how to raise children. I had uh, a friend, my mom, and the ladies at church. And I'll never forget what this one lady told me. Now, I can't for the life of me remember who she was, but I'll never forget what she said. She told me, she said, Diane, you're in the season of the young child. She said, you need to just embrace it. Don't wish it away thinking that when they're bigger, then we can do stuff. You know, sometimes we do that when, they're, when they can walk by themselves. or, um, You know, she said, this is the only year that they will ever be three and five. It won't come again. Not with these kids. This is the only year that they're going to be two and four. It will never happen again. So don't race through it. Don't miss it. Wishing for what's down the road because you've got today. And the responsibility is great, but God is faithful. And he chose you to parent these kids. So he's going to give you the wisdom that you need. She said to me, she said, Diane, God hasn't called you to everything. God hasn't called you to all these things you're trying to do. You called you, but God isn't asking you to do all these things. So, ladies, I just, I exhort you today to take a look at what you're doing and ask yourself, did God call me to all this, or is this just me trying to be super mom? Because you might be in the season of the young child, and you know what's most important? Playtime, bath time, dinner time, prayer time reading time, it's more important than anything else. So don't race through it. There's so much that you have to teach them. And I'm, again, I'm not talking about school. I'm talking about how to brush their teeth, wash their face, get ready for their day, get their shoes tied. I guess you, this generation, you didn't have to teach shoe tying. We had to teach shoe tying. And that wasn't easy, was it? Do you do the, like, the go around the bunny and through the hole or something like that? You got, you, this generation, you missed that, but, um, you know, just respect, manners, kindness, how to deal with a bully. I mean, there's all these things that you parents have to teach your kids. Nobody else is going to do it. It's on you. And so I just to encourage you to, I mean, as you can see that your list of responsibilities growing, give yourself a break. And realize there is nothing more important in your schedule than these kids and what they need. School happens, and oh my gosh, that takes over your life, doesn't it? I, you know, I'll just be honest. I hated school. I hated when my kids were in school. Our kids went to public school. We homeschooled five years, and then they went to Christian school. And, and so, every, you know, we kind of would evaluate. We moved a lot in those years, and... So we would just kind of, you know, pray and evaluate and decide what are we going to do this year. And we did a lot of different kind of schooling. But even homeschoolers have a schedule. And when you're on that schedule, it rules your life. If they're in public school, the schedule rules your life. I remember one time somebody blessed us with um, cruise tickets. 
And we, it was spur of the moment because the people who were going, the guy had a stroke. So it was like spur of the moment. So we did this spur of the moment vacation, and our kids actually got punished at school. They had to go to detention because it was not recognized as time off. And that just really ticked me off, you know. I'm like, I should be able to take my kids anywhere I want to take my kids. But respect for the public school. I'll be respectful. I, I couldn't be a teacher. I was a teacher for my children. And the first three months, Emily told me like every day, you're not my teacher. And I kept saying, yes, I am. We made it through, right? And, you know, the, the thing is, is school, it takes over all your time. You have to drive them everywhere, right? And um, it only lasts for 13 years. Well, this part, anyway, there's more, there may be more school beyond that, but um, it takes your finances, too. You know, every season, every summer, spring, summer, fall, and winter, your kids wear a different size, right? Their feet have grown. Their legs have grown. They need new clothes all the time. The school is constantly asking for money, which they need for sports fees. Where's those sports girls? Put them sports girls up there. Our girls paid sports. Look at it, aren't they cute? Uh, you know, sports fees were 45 bucks, plus you got to buy the outfit, plus you got to get the shin guards, plus you got to buy the shoes, plus you got to do all the stuff. We were poor, and it was a sacrifice. And, you know, school pictures. I mean, when they came, you know, I was like, I'm sorry, Grandma, but we can't, you know, we, we couldn't always buy the big package, right? Everything cost a lot of money. Our kids were... In, um, they went, when they went to the Christian school, there was no hot lunch program. And so the high schoolers provided hot lunch for the whole school. So if you were in ninth grade, maybe your day was Monday. Then you had to bring all the hot lunch. Okay, the parents did. You know, if it's hot dogs, then some parents got to bring hot dogs, buns, ketchup, mustard chips, all the stuff. And then the next day, it was 10th graders brought all the food. Then the next day was the next class, and on and on and on. So, I mean, there was just, there's so much expense. You know, the cool thing about that program was that those kids, that money stayed with their class for the whole four years they were in high school, and then in their senior year, they got to decide what to do with that money. And um, Emily's class went to Paris, and Erica's class went to Costa Rica. I mean, so that was cool, but the the... The finances, it's a big thing. And, you know, in sports, we were like a class, what, G, H-I-J-K team, I don't know. We, play, we played like the team in Sheboygan, you know, and down in um, Niles, Michigan. And there was no transportation at our school. So you drive everybody everywhere you got to go, and it takes three hours to get there. And... Um, Erica, bless her heart, she had to play sports because there were not enough girls in her class for her to opt out. So when she didn't want to play, they like ganged up on her like, Erica, we're going to make you the goalie. You have to play soccer because we don't have a team without you. And so we did it and we had fun and it was a sacrifice. And we prayed, oh God, will you provide? And he did right? He always will. 
And now we're going to move into the fall of your motherhood. And a lot of you aren't going to like this. But I'm bringing it up because some of you are there right now. And this is a season in your life that is so stressful because your kids are growing up. And you begin to wonder, who will they be? What will they do? Where will they go? Have I done enough? Have I prepared them? How am I going to survive this? You know, when Erica got out, got out of high school, she wanted to go to Hillsong in Australia. She had some friends that had gone there, and that was kind of in her heart to go to, to Hillsong for praise and worship. And um, we, we, you know, prayed about it, and we agreed that if she could raise some of the money, then she could go to Hillsong. And then one day in church, there was a, a overhead or something on the screen, and it was, the, it was planet Earth, and it was rotating. And all of a sudden, I looked at that, and I realized, that's on the other side of the planet. <laughs> it's on the other side of the Earth where my daughter wants to go. And I was like, oh, my God. We tried to talk her out of it. We're like, Erica, you know, if you got sick, we couldn't come. And uh, it was not God's plan, praise the Lord. Andy, say amen. Because she ended up in Grand Rapids, and she met Mr. Andy Richter, and the rest is history. Yeah. You know, I didn't know if I was capable of surviving driving. Erica wrecked a lot of cars. God was faithful. Um, dating. You know, Pastor Rick would make uh, any boy who wanted to date our daughters had to meet him in his office at church. And he would sit them down and say, now, what are your intentions with my daughter? And he, and he would say, you know, I mean, if this doesn't end in marriage, then what are we doing here? You know, and this one little 13-year-old boy started crying. He's like, I just, I don't want to get married. I just, I just like her, you know. We run them all off. We scared them all off. He did, actually. He wasn't afraid. And Rick used to ride a motorcycle. And so he's got all the leathers and stuff, you know, and he'd be all big bad dad, you know. So you think you like my daughter? And uh, none of them stuck except for these two. <laughs> what about college? What are you going to do about that? You know, I remember um, I, I was just like overwhelmed with like applying to schools. You know, Emily wanted to go to party college, and we said no. Um, not that she was a partier, because she wasn't, but hey, who doesn't want to go to the funnest school, you know? And, and so just, I like, I remember being so overwhelmed with applying to colleges and trying to get scholarships, and how are we going to pay for this? Do you know, back in the day, a college education costs $100,000? And I remember one day, one of the kids said, what do you mean that I don't have a college scholarship or tuition bank account? We're like, no, we bought groceries, Band-Aids, stuff like that, you know? But I always knew that God would provide somehow, some way. God would provide, and he did. I remember telling my girls when they were about 13 years old. 13, that's the age where they start to hate you. And uh, I remember telling them that, you know what, 
they were going to start to pull away from us. Because, you know, they didn't want to hang out with us anymore. It's like, we're going, you know, to Grandma's house. They're like, do we have to go? You know, and I remember sitting them down and saying, you know what, you're going to begin to pull away from us, and this is normal. Because God created you to become an independent adult. And so you're going to begin to pull away, and it's going to create all this tension. Because you don't want to be around us, but we do want to be around you. And so it's going to cause tension. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You might as well know that going in, and let's be honest about it. You know? It's going to happen. And so let's be prepared. I used all our driving time to plant my seeds of wisdom. Every time we, everywhere we went was 45-minute drive because we lived out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And everywhere we went was 45 minutes. So I would just tell the girls all my wisdom. I would, I'd be like, you know, I got them in the car or anything God laid on my heart. I'd just, I'd give them all my wisdom, you know. And then we'd get home and they'd tell dad, yeah, mom lectured us all the way there. I thought it was deep, meaningful conversation. But it apparently only on my side. And I remember telling them that God has given me a mandate to raise my children up in the way that they should go. I am called to train them up. And just because you don't like the training does not relieve me of my obligation to train you. And so it went on, whether they liked it or not. You know what the Bible tells us? We're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the life that we've lived on this earth. Anything that's not under the blood, we're going to give an account for. And I knew that God said, to train them up, and I took that very seriously. They didn't always like it. And I prayed, oh, God, please, please don't let me ruin these children. I pray for his grace to cover up my mistakes. And then I let them go, and it nearly killed me. I'll never forget the day I shut off the porch light and locked the door because nobody was coming home. And my heart was broken. It was right. It was good. But it about killed me. I'll be honest with you. I was depressed for two years. And some of you, moms, you're in this place right now. And we usually we just talk about all the baby stuff. But this is a part of being a mom is letting those kids go. And it rips your heart out. But you have to do it. Nobody wants a 35-year-old living in the basement. <laughs> but fall isn't over for you, moms. Just because your kids have moved out, life is not over for you. You know, there's a new season of discovery for you. And it's hard because you're not quite sure who you are anymore. When, when you've been mom for 24-7 for 20 years, and now all of a sudden, who am I? And what am I supposed to do with my life? It's a, it's a hard season. And I remember going to other moms that were in this season and seeking counsel. I remember one lady in particular, and she told me, she goes, Diane, only say about half of what you want to say, which was really hard for me, you know. Poor Erica, I harassed her when she moved out. I harassed her because I was brokenhearted. And she was my last, you know, and I would, like, I'd be 
we had cell phones then, and I mean, like, I'm, I'm, like, trying to get hold of her all day. And then if she would just throw me a little bone, you know, then it'd be like, oh, hi. You know, so half the time I think she didn't want to answer me because she didn't have an hour and a half to listen to me. Um, oh, my gosh. Some of you have been there. It's so difficult. And then you pray, oh, God, keep them, keep them, keep them, keep them, keep them. I pray this still. Keep them, Father. Keep them close to you. Keep them safe. Keep them, Father. I remember when, this is actually Rick's testimony, but when Erica was gone and, uh, you know, it's really hard to turn off that. I want to tell you what to do, you know. And um, I remember the Holy Spirit saying to Rick, would you trust her with me now? And that's what you have to do, parents. You have to trust God with your children. He sees them everywhere they go. How do I parent my adult child? That's what you wonder. How do I parent my adult child? And the answer is, you don't. Your job is done. Your role has changed now. You don't get to tell them what to do for the rest of their lives, how to do it and when to do it and where to do it. And it, I know that it's hard as a mom to let that go because we've been doing it for so many years. You can help, but you can't orchestrate. And you shouldn't enable. Sometimes you got to let your kids learn things the hard way. You don't want to. But if you bail them out every time, they won't learn, right? It's painful. Moms, if you're in this season, but I want to encourage you with this, you will survive it. You will survive. And I also want to encourage you in this. Have few regrets. Because you can't go back and do it over. Of course you made mistakes. Of course you did. There are no perfect parents. God is the only perfect parent. And it serves no purpose to be filled with regrets. Of course, I never, ever, ever wanted to hurt these two beautiful little girls from me. But I know that I did. I can't let that rule me now. Right? We have to go forward. I can't be lost in the past and the things that I did that maybe weren't good. I can't keep going back there because, as a wise woman said to me, that's not the way you're going. We're going forward, right? I can apologize. I can repent. I can't go back. Of course you made mistakes. My mom told me one time, no one gets off scot-free. When I wrote that down, I'm thinking, what does that really mean? No one gets off. Where did that come from? Poor Scott, you know. <laughs> Remember that you prayed that I prayed, God, don't let me ruin these children. And he didn't. So, ladies, if you're in the fall of your motherhood, there's still life for you to live. 
there's still ways for you to be a blessing to your kids. And, you know, this isn't in my notes, but I know that a lot of adults are still looking for their parents' blessing. They're still trying to find a way to measure up in mom and dad's eyes. And I just want you parents to give your kids your blessing. Be proud of them, not because of their accomplishments, not because of what they do, but just because of who they are. Give them your blessing. There's a really good book written by Gary Smalley called The Blessing. And you know what, moms? I just started my third career. Um, I was a restaurant administrator and manager, uh, banquet manager, spent some time waitressing when I was much younger, and I love that. I love that. I dropped it like a hot potato when I um, had my kids. But the next 20 years of my life, I worked as a mom, full-time job right there. And there was nothing more important than that. But I did uh, go to school at night, and I became an interior decorator. And now I'm kind of in the third career in my life. I just became a realtor, and I love it. It's a lot of fun. You know what, moms, if you're in the fall of your motherhood, you still have gifts and talents. You're still useful. You know, not only do your kids need you, you got to wait for them to ask, though. That's the hard part. But your grandkids, they need you. And you know what? The church needs you. The world needs you. Your community needs you. You still have gifts and talents. There's still so much that you can do. In the winter of your motherhood, this is the last season, and I haven't experienced this one yet. I haven't entered this one yet, but I've glimpsed it. I've glimpsed it in the eyes of my mom. Pick my mama up there, would you? I've seen the winter of motherhood in the eyes of my mom. And I have prayed, oh, God, let the end of life be kind. You know, I've asked her, what did you think the end of your life would be like? And she said, oh, I don't know, because we don't think about stuff like that. But you know what? Now the roles have changed. And my mother wonders, will my children care for me? She's torn between needing her kids and not wanting to be a burden in their lives. And her children are torn between taking care of her and carrying the weight of the responsibility. This is still motherhood. And you pray, oh, God, show me what to do. She needs your help. My mother needs my help to walk, to make decisions, to get to her doctor's appointments. She needs help to eat, to bathe, to dress. In some ways, she becomes, I become the mother and she becomes the child, right? And you pray, oh, God, how will I live without her? I know some of you have been there. But here's the moral of my stories. Through all of this life, I have had a constant companion. I'm sorry, I'm crying now. I can't see. 
Jesus has been my constant companion through all of this life. You know that life is hard. Seems like it's getting harder. Every old lady I've ever met has said, I would never want to raise children in this day and age. Haven't you? You've heard that from all your grandmas, right? It just seems like things get worse. Our, everything's corrupt and times are hard, but God has not changed. And he remains faithful. And he's, there is nothing, ladies, there is nothing that you could do that has more importance than raising your, your children. There's nothing more important than that. And God is faithful. He's going to be with you every step of the way. You can't, I don't know how people navigate this life without him. I don't know how. And you know what, ladies, I'm going to close with this. You're probably going to be just like her. You were knit together in her womb. You were cut from the same cloth. You're probably going to look like her, think like her, act like her. I've passed my reflection in windows and went, whoa, there's my mother. One thing remains the same. You, your constant dependence on God, your constant dependence on God is what's going to give you victory in this life, in every regard, but especially in, in, you know, raising your kids, because I mean, my gosh, they are your heart, right? King David said this, he said, I am, I have been young, and now I am old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread, because he's faithful. So no matter what you're going through, you can depend on him. But you got to ask, you got to ask. If you are a young mom, I plead with you, don't be too busy to seek God. You need him. And your kids need you to be full of him. If you're a middle-aged mom, don't get too busy to seek him. Because you need the answers that only he can provide. You know, God is able to answer your individual questions about your specific details of life. I, could, I won't take the time to tell you the million times that we've said, do we do this or do we do this? And God will answer your specifics if you'll ask him. He'll give you answers that, you know, he sees the whole picture and you don't. And older moms, don't stop seeking Jesus for yourself because your life isn't over. God can use you. He has a new season for you. In every season, we can have his wisdom, the wisdom that only comes from him. Life is hard, and it can be very dangerous. And so we depend on the Holy Spirit. Amen? He's on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit is alive and well on planet Earth, and he lives in you. So your source is within. You know, Mother's Day, I know, is a, can be very painful for a lot of people. I had a, a, a very close friend whose son was murdered. And, you know, I, don't, I know that some of you have lost children, and I can't imagine the pain. I know the pain is unbearable. I can't imagine losing a child that way. I know that some of you have lost your mom, and that, that 
pain is still really heavy and, and really hard in you. It's a painful remember reminder. I mean, maybe you're just estranged from your children. You know what? Relationships sometimes are broken. And so, Mom, if you're estranged from your children, I'm going to ask you to do something today. Now, your, your, your human nature is going to want you to sit there all day and watch the clock and wonder, are they going to call me and feel bad? And so I'm going to ask you to call them. You call them. And you say, because of you, I'm a mom. You made me a mom. And I love you. Doesn't matter what they've done. You reach out to them. You be Jesus to them. Today I want you to focus on Philippians 4 and 8. Whatever's right, whatever's true, whatever is, uh, is just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good report, focus on these things. Amen? This is a day for us to be grateful to God and the life that he's given us and all that he's done for us. I'm just going to read you this last scripture and then um, we'll close. And this is from Ecclesiastes. And uh, some of you that are around my age, you'll remember this song from the book of Ecclesiastes. You want to sing it? To everything, turn, 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 there is a season. Who did that? The birds or the animals or the beetles? We all, we went, it wasn't the beetles, but it was a rodent or something. Who was it? The birds. Okay. It's from the Word of God, and it goes like this. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, and a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And God has made everything beautiful in his time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. It's truth that we can live by. I thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy towards us. Father, you know that we're, we're, we're mere flesh and bone. Father, on our own, we're not capable of doing all the things, Father, but I thank you because I'm not on my own. And so today, Father, I ask for your grace and your mercy to wash over these moms, Father, that if there are any that, are, that are, are hurting today, Father, that you would just touch their hearts with your great love, that you would bind them up with healing, Father. I pray for all the young moms, Father, that you would encourage them in hope that they will do well, Father, in rearing their children, that you'll help them as they seek you, Father, because you're faithful. We just praise you and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here today. I thank you, Father, for the way that you've orchestrated our lives. We want you to be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.